0: Eisenberg on WHMP. This is indeed talk the talk. I'm Bill Newman, and I am Buzz Eisenberg, and we are joined by Josh Silver. This is political Gold with Josh Silver, our monthly time with political consultant Josh Silver. Josh, the debt ceiling, top of the fold story in every newspaper, a lead story in every media outlet today. The debt ceiling, it seems like there will be approval by the Congress, although the vote has to get through the Rules Committee, and then it has to get approval by the House and the Senate, assuming, and I don't, but assuming that it passes in some form, how does this play out politically? Good for the Democrats, good for the Republicans, good for neither? What do you say?
1: Well, so first of all, good morning, everybody. I, you know, let's just first step back and look at what this debt ceiling deal is right for all people listening in the western mass area who are frustrated because it is once again bypassing the fact that we have basically corporations paying no taxes and the billionaires are essentially paying no taxes and now they're slashing important programs like preschool and and other critical infrastructure that helps poor people could you
0: stop there for one second and just make sure i understand this all of the uh, tax reductions for corporations and billionaires that were passed during the Trump administration remain fully in place.
1: Yeah, they have remained fully in place. So the billionaires in the corporate, uh, you know, billion dollar corporations are just fine. They're not going to be affected. But the people who are actually poor and middle class who are struggling, who use important government programs to survive, they are the ones that are going to suffer from this. So if you look at this and you say you let's say you take the the what could be the, you know the far left analysis which is don't cut a deal you can't do this it's terrible keep in mind that the Republican party and Kevin McCarthy who's brokering this deal with President Biden is so off the rails completely far right captured by corporations and plutocrats and and crazy trumpers that Biden is stuck making this deal because he has literally no other recourse. There's no other way to pursue this because
0: because <clears throat> the president has to make a deal with the House Speaker, and the House Speaker has to make a deal with the devil, which is the House Freedom Caucus. So
1: Correct. Called. And and the this and, the, and the House and and Kevin McCarthy, the lead Republican, has done a great job of balancing the the interests of the far right with the interests of the corporate uh, corporations and the billionaires to come up with really this sort of milk toast proposal that screws over poor people, Biden is going to have to agree to it or else the US economy will implode. So one thing we should do is, is put aside the, the normal and correct criticism of like, oh, Biden, you're cutting a deal with the devil. You shouldn't take this deal. It's terrible. It's either that or the whole economy goes under. So <clears throat> this is the political system we're in today. It will happen where the deal will get cut. You are going to have a significant faction, say 30-some-odd members of the U.S. House who are from the far right who are going to reject it. Nearly all the Democrats are going to support it. There'll be a a handful of far-left Democrats who won't. But there will be enough members of the U.S. House to 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 vote yes, and this will pass.
0: I don't know how Jim McGovern uh, supports this, given his fight against food insecurity and hunger in the United States, and this is a bill that will, in fact— uh, significantly reduce benefits for for SNAP and other programs that are vital to really poor people.
1: Yeah, but Jim McGovern is, is facing the same conundrum that everyone else in the house is, and our country is, which is it's sort of like you have a loved one and some bad guy comes in and says, I'll either cut off their finger or kill them. Which do you want? I mean, that's really where Jim McGovern's at because we can't default – on uh, our debt, if we do that, the 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 economy will literally free fall in a way that makes two thousand eight look like you know child's. And body.
0: poor people will be poorer, and people who are hungry will be hungrier, and it all gets much worse, much more quickly. Yeah.
1: But the bottom line is, this will advance. This is going to pass. It's gonna, it has to. Uh, even these. Crazy Republicans know that, and Kevin McCarthy. Fortunately, while he's you know kind of an awful person, he's he he's not willing to just throw it all away. Well, let me ask
0: you about this because there was one aspect of this bill that uh, really caught my attention, and that was the funding for the Internal Revenue Service. Because the Republicans say, "Don't fund the Internal Revenue Service." They're going to find the tax treats, tax cheats, the billionaires who were getting away with. Ripping off the country and the corporations getting away with ripping off the country. So Biden said, "Let's have, I think it was eight, eight billion.
1: It was something like that.
0: More for (laughs) the IRS for enforcement." And the Republicans said, "No, never. We want to enforce it against people making ten dollars or fifteen dollars an hour, not against billionaires and corporations." Um, And Biden made a deal. Said, "Okay, I understand, Republicans. You need to deliver for the corporations and the billionaires. So we'll cut it by." a uh, billion dollars or $10 billion. I forget which one. It was about t- a little less, about 10%. And that seemed to me actually to be not a bad deal from Biden's point of view. You get the enforcement, or at least most of the dollars for enforcement.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Biden did a relatively good job given what he was dealt with. And and it seems to me that this is tracking in a way that is significantly better than you might have predicted 10 days ago, when it felt like we might be truly headed to the abyss. Um, it doesn't take care of the long-term problem. It also let it, you know, sort of speaks to the f- the fact that a year ago, the Democrats had the opportunity to actually deal with this debt ceiling stuff. When yeah, they and they trifecta. didn't do it. Front
0: page of the New York Times says, Yellen yeah. said, Janet Yellen said, do the debt ceiling, Democrats, while you have the majority in the House and the Senate. And there were Democrats managed to mess it up.
1: Yeah. And not do it. Why? Yeah. Well, the, the Democrats have the same problem that the, the Republicans do, just not nearly as acutely, which is. You've got a significant portion of the Democratic Party that is completely captured by billionaires and corporations. And that's the fact. That is the sort of truism that nobody wants to talk about is that both parties are captured by the billionaires and the the plutocrats, the Republicans entirely, the Democrats partially. Um, In comparison to the far-right MAGA swing of the Republican Party, Democrats feel and appear correctly far more sane and reasonable, and they are. But there's still this major faction of the Democratic Party that's really corrupt. And when the when the far right says the Democrats are corrupt and they're sold out and it's a Clinton corporate cabal, they're actually it's true. There is a Clinton corporate cabal. Like they've been they've been selling out working class people for generations, the Clintons have. So it's not all just like Flowers and 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 rainbows for Democrats. So this is where it gets into the structural problem. I mean, the structural problem is the fact that our democracy is fundamentally broken. The two-party system is codified by a broken set of election and campaign finance laws. And you cannot bring in what really we need is like independent truly independent third parties that can bring a whole fresh do you remember the story about Iceland when there was an? I can't say it on the air. There was like an F-U party that 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 ran and actually won, and they became like a major, like a majority of the parliament, it's a some massive voting block in Iceland, because in parliamentary systems you can actually have real, meaningful uh, uh, government uh, electoral competition that you can't have in this two-party system, which gets to this question you asked off-air, which is. Well, also, Josh, what's going on with Trump? You know, you're seeing all this news about who's entering the race. Tim Scott, this black Republican from South Carolina. Senator. Senator, sorry, enters the the, the presidential race. You've got Nikki Haley, the former UN ambassador, uh, moderate in comparison, Republican candidate. You've got the guy whose name I can't pronounce, um, the obscure the, businessman. You've got Trump. You've got DeSantis, of course. What does this all mean? The fact is, is that— and, ev- there are
0: a bunch of, and there are a bunch of governors or former governors who are saying, why not me?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, oh, yeah, there's that other guy um, from Arkansas. Um, but anyway, then— every, Asa Hutchinson. Thank you. Every candidate that enters the Republican primary for president means that Donald Trump has a greater chance of winning. So it's it's nearly impossible for for Ron DeSantis or anyone else to win this nomination at this point because Donald Trump has about a thirty some odd percent of the Republican base that will vote for him even if he shoots somebody in Times Square.
2: Well, Josh, is, is the media gonna to continue to give him a free pass on what's called earned media? That is media he's not paying for. Is he are his town hall, town meetings still gonna be covered? At prime time, are they still going to give him that free media? Well,
1: keep I- in mind, you're, you're asking the CNN question, right? Because they did this, this yeah, town hall. The, the mainstream press outside of Fox News, uh, the CNN, ABC, CBS, they had not done that for... Two years, like a really since January 6th
2: But he's now a candidate, and he wasn't for two
1: years. Yeah, I mean the answer is yes, Buzz. They're going to give him earned media because he's like the leading GOP candidate, and they have to. But whether they give him things like this, like this gift, like a a, a primetime town hall on CNN, TBD. I don't know. But you know they're looking for ratings. CNN's tanking. It's a for profit. This gets to the other side of the coin. It's the the media side of the democracy. The media is broken. Democracy's broken. When the most important thing in media is making money, which it is, then you do whatever it takes to draw eyeballs, drive up ratings, and sell ads. And that's what CNN was doing. And that's another yet another problem with our system.
0: Well, Josh Silver, you just used a phrase that caught my attention and my ear, and that was, at this time, the New York judge set Trump's criminal trial for the illegal, allegedly illegal payoffs to Stormy Daniels. For next March, really just after the first uh, primaries or caucuses, just as the primary season is really getting into high gear, Donald Trump as a defendant in a criminal case seems to me could actually finally affect his popularity, even among those hardcore Republican Trump supporters. You disagree with that?
1: I mean, I think I agree with you intellectually, but the Electoral College doesn't agree with you, meaning... Is it going to affect whether he can get the nomination in places like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, uh, Michigan? This the, the states that are the only ones that matter for winning the presidential nomination. No, he's going to his his base is big enough that his they're rabid enough in the swing states that I, I think he'll prevail. I think in blue states where he's vying for the Republican nomination, I think it will have more effect because there's more moderate Republicans in those states. But I just don't that what we just saw with his indictment. Remember, his indictment was what a few months ago, and we were like, "Oh my God, he finally got indicted." This is the New York indictment yeah. for the, for paying off porn star his, Stormy His James. support amongst his base actually went up, and it was measurable in all the polling that people were feeling this as a, did his coffers. Yeah, yeah, he got raised a bunch of money, and and the deep state theories have been, have been proven correct. This is actually a cabal amongst the globalists and the, the Uniparty to, to take down this guy because he's standing up against the corrupt status quo. And that narrative has been reinforced and proven through the indictment. It will be done so again in the next indictment and in the trial, and he will use it to his advantage. The good news at the end of this is I would argue. I thought
0: this was never coming.
1: <laughs> no, no. Fortunately, I
0: hung on to, to, to I, Josh. I'm, could I'm get much
1: this. more. I mean, I'm much more terrified about Ron DeSantis getting the nomination than I am Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is virtually he, he has almost no chance of winning a general election at this point,
0: even though he leads Biden by considerable amount in the polling on a one to one matchup with Biden.
1: I think he is so polarizing and toxic that the. He's the only thing that will get rightfully turned off and tired Democratic voters fired up enough to actually turn out and vote. Didn't I hear that in twenty
2: sixteen?
1: Yeah, but that was twenty sixteen, Buzz. And then we had twenty twenty. So I, I, you know, twenty sixteen is very different from now, and twenty twenty is a little more more on the nose. I just think that you, that's what's going to take to get the Democrats to really be scared as hell and actually turn out and vote. I just think it's very hard for Donald Trump to win. The biggest worry would be is if something happens to Joe Biden's health and Kamala Harris has to be the torchbearer, I think she would probably lose to Donald Trump. Remember misogyny and sexism? It still exists. You know, I I had such a nice three-day weekend,
2: Josh Silver. (laughs) (laughs)
0: On this solemn note, let's take a break and come back because I want to hear more about DeSantis because he seems to be nominated and elected by the mainstream media as the alternative. So if Trump stumbles, it seems that he has been anointed by the mainstream media topic we'll discuss right after this.
3: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Push, push, come on, one more,
4: let's go, go, go.
5: Is this your idea of personal training? If so, you've got it all wrong, or perhaps we've got it all right at Fitness Together, where we meet you where you are, to get you where you wanna be. Fitness Together trainers help you reach your goal at any fitness level, even despite ailments and physical limitations. So don't let a misconception keep you from having the energy to do what you love. Learn how you can get it together at Fitness Together,
6: Amherst or Northampton. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman.
7: Local farms are
0: welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur.
6: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
8: My name is Joanne Vanine. I am a CASA worker, court-appointed special advocate for the organization Friends of Children. I first got involved with the CASA program back in 2004. I was still full-time employed at that time as the uh, Dean of Students at UMass Amherst. The case that inspires me relates to a young man. There were issues of physical abuse. There were issues of drug abuse. Through the advocacy work that I did, this young man was placed with a family in Springfield. It was a rocky start. But the good news is that this foster family stepped up and said that they would adopt him. Almost immediately, I began to see the change in him in terms of his own confidence in himself, which clearly derived from a sense of security. And that also was evidenced in the way he performed in school. The really happy ending to this is I got a text message saying to me, look at my report card, and he is on the honor roll.
1: Learn more about becoming a CASA advocate by visiting Friends of Children's offices on Route 9 in Hadley or going to org.
3: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
0: We continue Political Gold with political consultant Josh Silver. We were talking during the break about DeSantis and Trump, and I want to hear your view more. I want to hear more of your views about that, Josh Silver. But I'd like to start by asking this segment, by asking you about what Trump is going to do about DeSantis having signed the bill in Florida that makes criminal any abortion after six weeks. And what I'd like to know is how does Trump navigate that? Because he wants to say, I'm against all abortion— I mean, he's, there's has no moral or ethical stance about this. It's all—it's all, it's all uh, what's politically Politics. expedient. Yeah. yeah, but what is, what does Trump do about abortion? He's been outflanked on the right by Desantis.
1: I mean, I think Trump is aware <clears throat> of this dynamic, and 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 what you're just to take that one level further, right? You've got the Republican primary voters, which are the only thing that really matter for Trump at the moment, who are pretty rabid far right on everything, including abortion. And then you've got setting yourself up correctly for the general. And Trump and his team are smart enough to know that in a general election, this is a country that generally supports women's right to choose, generally. Uh, certainly more people do than don't. And you run a real risk if you pull a DeSantis and you go absolute anti-abortion in the primary, and then you face a general uh, election audience that actually disagrees with you, so I think Trump is going to continue to do his. You know, he he's learned how to do it quite well. Just the sort of non-answer hedge and and sort of oh.
0: this sort of this sort of uh, jujitsu. <laughs> ju- I yeah. delivered. Yeah. I gave you the Supreme Court. Vote yeah. for me. I'll get it done. Don't worry about how I'll get it done. I think that's what his position will be.
1: Yeah, he's just going to continue to sort of muddy his words and 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 probably try to match Desantis in terms of uh, of, of, of 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 sort of the six week thing, he might get behind it very well, but he's gonna try to use that sort of mushy language that allows him to walk it back for the general. I don't think Trump has much concern at all about his ability to win the, the primary. and. It'll, it's, it is going to be beautiful sort of blood sport to watch DeSantis and Trump go to war with each other because it, it, it hasn't happened yet. And, and, and DeSantis has been in this very tricky position of needing to not alienate Trump's base, therefore not viciously attack Trump. But he's going to have to attack Trump now. Like now that he's a candidate, Trump's going to continue to just barrage him and he has to push back. But it's going to be an incredible dance to see how this all plays out. And and I think the more bloodletting that occurs between DeSantis and Trump, the better. Tell me about this. We have disparaged, and
0: correctly, disparaged polling for years now because polling's, polling has been grossly inaccurate. All of this conversation about Trump and DeSantis is grounded on polling. There hasn't been one vote in one Republican primary yet. so. How are we supposed to or should we really depend on these polls for our information and our understanding of what is likely to happen with regard to Republican primary voters when they vote?
1: I mean, that's a that's a, that's a topic for a whole show, Bill. I mean, the the, the problems with polling. That, that said, you do know some certain contours. Like right now, DeSantis and Trump are dead even in Florida for the Republican primary. That's probably a pretty accurate poll. Um DeSantis picked up uh, nine points against Trump in a theoretical matchup in Iowa in a primary just last week. Um, You are seeing uh, some reliable polling numbers that show the, the race tightening a little bit. I just, I mean, there's another part that we haven't talked about, which is that Ron DeSantis is not a good retail politician. And you have to be a good retail politician to be a good insurgent and actually beat. Somebody. What does that mean? What it politician? means is like he doesn't really like to schmooze. He doesn't really like to shake hands. He doesn't come off as warm. He comes off as kind of. He, so he's a total a hole. He's a jerk, and it and it's transparent when you meet him, right? I Trump mean, calls him Ron de sanctimonious. Yeah, I mean, but he's really cold. He's not a kind person. Like, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, uh, even George W. Bush, like they came off as kind of like nice guys. Ronald Reagan. Yeah, nice guys. Ron DeSantis is not a nice guy. And the fact is— And we care about that? We, the voters, care about that? Yeah, it really matters for presidential. I mean, people like—I mean, I know you don't, Bill, but people like Donald Trump. Like his supporters feel like he's someone they'd like to actually spend the weekend with. I know that's hard to get your head around.
0: No, it's the who would you like to have a beer with question, yeah. and, and would you like to have a beer with uh, that ex-president, and the answer is for many Republican primary absolutely. voters, absolutely. Yeah, s- they're
1: their top choice. So Ron DeSantis is not particularly likable, and that's going to be a big factor, because if he was a big ball of charisma like a Barack Obama, I think that would be a bigger threat to Trump, frankly. But when he walks into a room, people are a little like, nah, it's like he's just not that exciting. So... You may be right. This could be a lot closer than people think. And I I, I, but the idea that Donald Trump is going to get beaten by Ron DeSantis in a Republican primary is nearly impossible. What if
0: the other eight Republican contenders, both announced and unannounced, come out together and say, we've decided we've got to get Trump.
1: We, much as we are going to, they'll never do it because they're will the withdraw? Come together. They, they're yeah, not yeah. going to withdraw because they have giant egos. Mike Pence, do you think you're going to convince him to drop out or or uh, Christie from New Jersey? Chris Christie. Chris Christie's is about to announce, and he's oh, is he? Yeah, he's going to announce, and he's like you know because he wants Chris Christie's name and lights, and he's like, he will get that. These guys have egos that. And Chris Christie
0: was a serious contender one or two election cycles yeah. ago.
1: And their and their and their, their desire for attention far outweigh, outweighs their desire for the future of the country. They they really care mostly about themselves.
0: Well, what happens when there is is a debate and the other Republicans are there and they all beat up on Trump?
1: Doesn't that have an effect? Bill, have you ever seen Trump in a debate? He's unbeatable. He just like he will just crap all over these candidates and make them all look like they'll make them look like absolute fools he does it every time I mean that's just how it is so
0: he has said I'm not attending the debates you think ultimately he does if there are all those Republicans on the stage
1: good question he doesn't have to I wouldn't be surprised if he skips it if he sees that he has more liability that you know downside than up he'll just skip them I don't see him debating the Democrat I don't see him debating Biden I think he has already said he's not going to do that right yeah. He has, but yeah. it's,
0: it's something Trump said. That doesn't mean how to put this that it's true. Yeah, I, I mean, thought d- it was
2: rather a- a- astonishing in 2015 when when uh, Chris Christie almost single-handedly took out Marco Rubio yeah. during a debate. Yeah, and the next day Trump wins the debate with the opinion in every you know column that I looked at, which I. It flabbergasted me because Trump said nothing and Chris Christie actually acted like a smart guy.
1: Yeah. And, the, you know, this is once again points to the fundamental structural flaws in our political system and our elections system where it is not required to be in a debate. Like what? That's ridiculous that you're not required to. And the, the fact that there's not a system in place that requires it is is insane. Um, the, the fact that that you have. Um, the, the, the sort of loose rules on the nominations. That is like these parties are private entities. The Republican Party is a private entity. The Democrat, people don't know that. The Democratic Party is a private entity that creates its own nomination rules. Some parties just nominate in, in a convention. The Republicans actually do this in several states so in a convention where Republican leaders just anoint their, their nominee.
0: Or in a caucus, a, uh, yeah,
1: it's it's fundamentally broken. We're talking about rules from the 18th century that have not been updated. That you can give unlimited amounts of money to PACs it, anonymously, that but, then in turn go ahead and spend on the candidate. And everyone knows it's Ron DeSantis's PAC, which by the way is over 120 million dollars now. Um, it's 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 absolutely it's like it's like a, a not a developed country. This is we're talking about like this is end of time stuff, the way that the the system is is completely raked with cash. I do
0: remember when the Carter Center was asked to monitor or comment on the United States elections and Jimmy Carter post his presidency, of course, said, no, we actually can't monitor the United States elections because they are insufficient in terms of protection of democracy compared to. I think there were dozens and dozens and dozens of other countries around the world. We're just not developed enough to do
1: that. And it could be solved literally with one giant law that the Congress passes that just overhauls elections law, campaign finance law, ethics law. They could do it in one swoop, but the politicians are literally incentivized against it, including many Democrats.
0: Well, let's conclude with this question for you, Josh. The Republican Party represents, in terms of uh, voters, maybe 25 percent of the voters and the Democratic Party represents maybe 30 percent, give or take. And that means that some 55, 60 percent of the country is excluded from the process of determining who the candidates are going to be. Your thoughts about that?
1: Well, it's just the status quo now, Bill. I mean, fortunately, more and more states are like Massachusetts, where if you're an independent voter, you can actually say, I want a Democratic va- in the primary. I want a Democratic ballot or I want a Republican. You can vote. And that's happening more and more. Those kinds of innovative solutions are an improvement. But the fact remains about half of America's voters are actually independent. They don't like the two parties. Yet our winner-take-all system, meaning Trump and a group of seven other Republicans are in the primary and whoever gets the most votes wins. Remember Trump, Trump only had, you know, had less than 50% of the vote in the Republican primary in 2016, but he won the nomination. This happens every day. So the majority of people did not vote for the person who actually ends up being president. Um, it's, it's a fundamentally broken system. It can be fixed with things like open primaries, ranked choice voting, by things like multi-member districts, which could create a more parliamentary style system here in the United States, by passing campaign finance laws, by requiring that they be in debates. And then, and then on the flip side of it, like a, a robustly funded public media system, like you see in England, right? In England, you've got every household is paying over $100 a year to support their public media system, which is... That's st- the BBC? Yeah, which is staunchly insulated from politics and cannot be touched by angry or, re- uh, you know, retribution from politicians. And they hold these these public officials accountable in a non-commercial investigative journalism system that we don't have. This is all just
2: so great, Josh. Uh, you're always educating me. But uh, uh, the elephant in the room, which we didn't talk about, I don't mm-hmm. think we have time to talk about it today, is Trump does lose the primary,
1: but claims
2: it was stolen from him. What does that look like?
1: It's going to look ugly once again, Buzz. I mean, the good news is is that we learned so much from January 6th that the as we saw in New York, remember when he got indicted, New York was on lockdown. There was a massive police presence ready for anything. You're going to see the same thing. If, if this happens again, this time the National Guard will be ready. This time the you know the, 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 the Army, the Navy, like they will understand the, the gravity of this problem in a way that we just weren't because we hadn't seen it in the history of our country. It was the first hostile, violent invasion of the U.S. Capitol since the creation of the United States of America.
0: So, last question for you, Josh Printer You have to run. What does the verdict against Fox News mean for this upcoming election, if anything?
1: <sighs> uh, it, it, they're going to have to behave better. Like they can't. You they, mean more normal?
0: The, less the, right? Yes. Less
1: right wing? No, less outrageous, bold faced, clearly lying to their their viewers like they have to be more careful about it and that's a that's a great thing and remember that the other case which is even bigger than dominion Forgot the name of the other one, but yeah, SmartTech or whatever yes. it's smart smartmatic or whatever. Yes. That case is pending and it's an even bigger case. So this is a very positive development that there is recourse for those people or companies who are harmed by these lies to actually win in court and and regulate the behavior of the Fox News. It will be better, but remember, right-wing radio is so rabid and so insane, and then you've got OAN Network on TV and Newsmax. There's there's so many outlets to reinforce these lies that it's not going to be a game-changer if Fox starts you know, behaving a little better.
0: We leave it there. This has been Political Gold with political consultant Josh Silver, who's with us every month. Thanks so much, Josh. You, you bet.
1: I know it is.
3: To talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
5: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Emergency crews from South Hadley and Northampton are continuing their search of the Connecticut River in the area of Brunel's Marina for a missing jet skier. State police say there was a crash between a jet ski and a boat around 7 p.m. on Sunday. The person on the jet ski, a 51-year-old man from Springfield, is still missing. There was a man and a woman in the boat, and they were both taken to Bay State Medical Center for treatment. The boater is from Chicopee and the passenger from Agawam. The Route 5 East Hampton boat ramp is closed as the search continues. There's been a whirlwind of news coming out of Greenfield after the city council voted to move over $1 million from various parts of the city budget into the public school system earlier this month. Now the chair of the school committee, Amy Proietti, is accusing the mayor of violating open meeting law for discussing matters related to those issues over email to school committee members and city councilors. Following the city council's vote, the mayor and city council received differing legal opinions on whether counselors had the authority to add the $1.1 million back into the school budget. The mayor continues to challenge the legitimacy of the city council's school funding vote, while the chair of the school committee has filed a complaint with the attorney general's office. The Greenfield School Committee will have a special meeting tonight at 6 p.m. The Franklin County Fairgrounds and the Deerfield Community Center are both receiving $10,000 grants to make repairs. The fairgrounds will use their money to make repairs to the roundhouse building, including repainting. And the Deerfield Community Center will fix their belfry. In historic Deerfield, the grants come from Preservation Massachusetts and the 1772 Foundation.
7: Sunshine this morning and then haze increasing this afternoon as some smoke from eastern Canada wildfires rolls into the valley. A high of 74 to 78. Visibility could be limited for a time this afternoon, this evening. Otherwise, mostly clear tonight. Overnight low of 42 to 48. Mostly sunny tomorrow in the low 80s. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP.
5: This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media.
9: Yo soy Johan Rashí Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El presidente de Estados Unidos, Joe Biden, y el principal republicano del Congreso, Kevin McCarthy, parecían estar acercándose el jueves a un acuerdo para reducir el gasto y aumentar el techo de deuda del gobierno de 31.4 billones de dólares con poco tiempo libre para evitar el riesgo de incumplimiento. El acuerdo especificaría la cantidad total que el gobierno podría gastar en programas discrecionales como vivienda y educación, pero no lo dividiría en categorías individuales. Las dos partes se reunieron virtualmente el jueves, dijo la Casa Blanca. El representante Garrett Graves, principal negociador republicano, dijo a los periodistas el jueves por la noche que las conversaciones continuarían durante la noche. Cualquier acuerdo tendrá que ser aprobado por la Cámara de Representantes controlada por los republicanos y el Senado controlado por los demócratas. La Cámara levantó la sesión el jueves por la tarde para un descanso de una semana y el Senado no está en sesión. Se les ha dicho a los legisladores que estén listos para volver a votar si se llega a un acuerdo. En otras informaciones, el fundador del grupo extremista Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, fue sentenciado el jueves a 18 años de prisión por orquestar un complot de una semana que culminó con el ataque de sus seguidores al Capitolio de los Estados Unidos en un intento por mantener al presidente Joe Biden fuera de la Casa Blanca después de ganar las elecciones de 2020. Rhodes, de 58 años, es la primera persona condenada por conspiración sediciosa en el ataque del 6 de enero de 2021 para recibir su castigo y sus sentencia es la más larga dictada hasta ahora en los cientos de casos de disturbios en el Capitolio. Por primera vez en un caso del 6 de enero, el juez acordó con el Departamento de Justicia que las acciones de Rhodes deberían castigarse como terrorismo, lo que aumenta la sentencia recomendada según las pautas federales. Yo soy Johan Rashí Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP.
5: This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
3: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
0: And this is our monthly SciTech Cafe segment with Mount Holyoke College professor of physics, Kristen Nordstrom, who has with her and us today a very special guest. It's very special. It's also a little bit sad because the SciTech Cafe runs the academic year, and here we are at the end of the academic year, and SciTech Cafe is going to take the summer off, really, Professor,
10: seriously, yeah, that's you're going right. to leave us? That's right. I'm going to go on the beach and sip some Mai Tais, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be running my research lab this summer, but we will be back in September. Um, tomorrow's event is Wednesday, May 31st, uh, doors 6 p.m., talk 630. We'll be hearing from Professor David Sella from UMass Amherst about baby's first microbiome. Um, So hope to see some babies in the audience. And where is this? This is at Abandoned Building Brewery in East Hampton, um, and it's free. All ages are welcome.
0: Okay. Give us one minute, if you would, please, for those of our listeners saying, I can't believe they're leaving. I just heard about the SciTech FA, how long has, has it been with us? Who funds it? Uh, tell us its objective and how it works.
10: Yeah, so we uh, SciTech started in 2012, uh, so we forgot to have a, a 10-year anniversary, but maybe we'll have a 100th talk <laughs> <laughs> event when we do the math on that one. Um, so it started then. It's been funded continuously by mostly NSF, the National Science Foundation, as part of the broader um, impacts and outreach program. Uh, So whenever you write a grant for the NSF, even though if it's mostly for science, you still might have to write a separate little program uh, to educate the public in some way. And this is doing that. So we Um, provide some snacks and uh, a space for these events and hold them (laughs) for free to the public. And this is really important to us.
0: And this happens once a month now at Abandoned Building Brewery.
10: Exactly. Once a month, Abandoned Building Brewery, and come bring your friends totally free. Um, We have world-class experts giving us amazing talks.
0: And you have kids asking the most amazing questions.
10: Yes, yes. So sometimes the kids ask the um, smartest questions. Sometimes they ask the silliest questions, but either way they're not afraid to ask and that's kind of that's kind of the point here.
0: Yeah. So, tell us about who you have with you and us in the studio this morning, another professor yeah. uh, from UMass.
10: Yeah, so this is uh, David Sella, a professor of uh is it nutrition scientist, a professor in the food science department. And he studies uh, microbiology, so looking at microbiome uh, as related to breast milk and some other things, uh, which he might talk about a little bit. He's got a very descriptive t-shirt, and you might ask about some of those things, some of which are related to the talk tomorrow and some which are not.
0: Okay, let's see. Let's read the (laughs) t-shirt. Breast milk and microbiome.
10: Microbiome.
0: Biomes. Marijuana and vegetables. Nutrition. Yes, I think that's what it says. <laughs> okay,
4: you have a lot of explaining to do, professor. Go go for it. Sure, I'm I'm First of all, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Buzz, for having me and Kirsten for setting this up. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about my favorite stuff, which is our research. And thank you for her having me on the air. And tomorrow I'm looking forward to it. Bring your babies, bring your kids. I'm looking forward to the engagement with uh, the community and um, hearing all kinds of great questions. And I always appreciate the questions because that keeps us going in our research lab. What is important for the public? What is um, the essence of what we're doing? Because we could get really caught up in the intricacies, the the really nitty-gritty details about stuff, which is really important as a scientist. We want to measure things. But I really want to know what's important out there. And a lot of these events that I do um, has been a little slower since in the post-pandemic world. Uh, but I'm very happy that we're ramping up again. Um, is really important for me. And so— well, the, let's
0: just start with the first two words of yeah. your
4: T-shirt. Breast, milk— in microbiomes. Breast milk and microbiome, that is the crux of what we work on in our laboratory. We study the human gut microbiome, which is the beneficial microbes that inhabit um, our gastrointestinal tract. These are bugs that don't cause diseases. And when I say bugs, I'm talking about microbes, things that you can't see without the microscope. Um, And the link to breast milk is that babies have um, microbes within them. And breast milk not only feeds the baby, they have all kinds of Goodies, molecular goodies, um, lactose, sugars, um, proteins. But they also have things within the breast milk that the baby doesn't digest. And what I'm going to talk about tomorrow will be those things. The things that the baby doesn't digest actually feeds the beneficial microbes within their gastrointestinal tract and provides a whole bunch of benefits, including immune function, helping them digest other foods. It trains the baby for developmental, um, to develop over time. Um, and there's a lot of exciting things that are not only coming out of our laboratory, but also the field in general. Um, so I'm excited to talk about that. I'm going to talk about our stuff in particular, but I'll put into context of, um, the exciting things going on with infant nutrition and how that relates to the microbiome. Yes, Christian.
10: Oh, so are the bacteria, those help with immunity or how are those working?
4: Yeah. So you're, uh, your body or the the baby's body, the infant's body, is constantly sampling their guts and saying, what is present inside of me right now? And it's looking for a balance. And what the baby eats, are actually what we eat too, is- This is the baby's version of work-life, ba- work-life balance. <laughs> exactly. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that, because I was thinking about work-life balance this weekend. <laughs> I was having a wonderful time uh, on Memorial Day weekend. It's like, you know what? I could be doing this a lot more, right? <laughs> but that's what the baby is doing. That's what the baby's immune system is doing, is constantly asking the question, do we have everything inside of me that we expect in the right concentrations? So could you go back a second, for those of us who sat in the- uh, back of the class
0: during science in high school, you're saying that breast milk does two different things. One is it feeds the infant or the child. And the second is it feeds the microbiomes within the, trial, within the child. And those are different phenomena. Did I understand that correctly?
4: They're different and they're related. So you can't, com- you can't um, take them apart even if you wanted to. We wouldn't want to be completely sterile, meaning we wouldn't want to be completely without microbes. They help us a lot. They help the baby a lot. Okay, so you want to give an example? Your friendly local
0: microbe, your name, Fred, or... Louise, and what, what happens? Well, what's
4: a micro? What's a what is that? Well, we'll name this this friendly neighborhood microbe Bifidobacteria. We study Bifidobacteria. <laughs> so much for Fred. Okay. <laughs> I like Fred though. Fred's a, Fred's a good name. A good solid name. Bifidobacteria. So this bug uh, consumes special sugars in breast milk that the baby does not use themselves, and this bifidobacteria that you often find in yogurts. You go to the grocery store, you can find probiotics. So this is a probiotic beneficial microbe, and the baby has it naturally inside of it. And these special sugars feed the bifidobacteria, and in return, the bifidobacteria spit out these beneficial chemicals or molecules, whatever you want to call it, and it helps with the baby's immune system. Um, It gives it more energy in local areas in in the gut. Um, also, um, it helps, um, as I said, mentioned before, trains the immune system to say, hey, everything's okay as it should be. And so we're also studying links to allergic um, responses. And maybe um, the way that allergies uh, develop throughout life um, end up um, having its root causes in proper nutrition early on. Which gets me to the question I really
0: wanted to ask, which is, what? Does the research that you're doing, uh, Professor David Sella, what does the research focus on? What is it trying to get you to? I mean, people have been looking at breast milk for a long time. I take it you have some objectives, maybe wrong, but it's not pure research. What do you have in mind? What are you trying to get to?
4: Yeah, I love this question because what's what's the point? So we want to study to learn it because that's, you know, we're scientists. We want to learn fundamental processes, but there's more to that. We want to make a difference in the everyday world of uh, babies who are nursing or maybe babies who are not nursing who are uh, consuming infant formula. So specifically, we used to, and we said this for, for decades uh, in the field, know more about cow's milk than we know about breast milk. And this is the fundamental food. This is why I'm a nutrition. So what is the only food that is specifically evolved to nourish our species? And there's only one answer, and that's breast milk. And so why did we not know as much about breast milk as we know about cow's milk? And so for us to learn about it means that we could improve on interventions when things go a little bit off.
0: Well then tell us a bit more about that. Breast milk, for example, versus formula. What are the babies who are, for one reason or another, uh, Uh, relegated to having formula and not breast milk? Do they miss out? And how long should breastfeeding go on for? This is a huge debate, of course. I'd like to hear your view.
4: Absolutely. And Um,
0: and, uh, as a person of the male persuasion, I'm just going to take a guess here. Does it put you in an awkward position to be talking about this?
4: Well, I'm gonna, I I love both questions. I'm gonna handle the second question um, afterwards. Okay, great. Um, But I get this question all the time, and it's a very important question here. And the big take home message is, um, whether or not you're formula-fed or breast-fed, The biggest thing is skin contact with your baby. Does your baby have a loving, nourishing home? Nourishing, not necessarily in terms of food, but just um, does a baby experience stability um, and uh, a good um, household, Uh, uh, let me stay away from the word good, uh, a supportive household too. And that's what the research shows. Now there are some fundamental differences between breast milk and formula milk. Formula milk tends to be um, cow milk based. Um, And so that's a big difference. And there are specific things in breast milk that are there to feed the microbiome that we don't find necessarily in cow's milk. And science is trying to understand, okay, well, if we don't have that in formula milk, is that something that we can add back to it? Mm-hmm. Is that something that we can help um, for those um, uh, individuals who choose to use formula or don't have a choice to use formula? And there is there is a considerable amount of, of folks um, um, like that. Um, and I'll, I'll tell, a, if there's time, I'll tell a, a quick story about what we're studying. But your second question was, um, uh, identifying as male, is it a complicated issue? And a simple answer to that is yes. Well, actually, it's not a simple answer. It's yes and no. Um, it, it's complicated if I choose to to look at it as complicated. Um, the science is what the science is, um, and there is a lot of um, emotions around this topic, and it's one of, kind of one of the reasons why I'm, um, I've am been drawn to the field because there are these social, ethical, legal, societal impacts that we have to be concerned about.
0: Mm-hmm. We are speaking on this edition of the SciTech Cafe with Professor David Sella from the UMass Department of Food Science. He's a nutrition scientist. We'll be back with Professor Sella and Professor Kirsten Nordstrom from Mount Holyoke College and the Physics Department right after this.
3: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Heisenberg.
6: Get takeout? Save 30% get candles, or hit the links, save 30%. Dog grooming, outdoor recreation, burritos, save 30%. The Shop 30 Store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were gonna buy anyway. The Shop 30 Store, open right now at whmp.com.
0: Oh the places you'll go! This Dr. Seuss book might be the quintessential graduation
2: gift broadside has it plus other books for grads like what now by ann patchett navigate your stars by jesmyn ward tony morrison's the source of self-regard selected essays speeches and meditations browse broadside bookshop for inspiring books for
0: graduates how about devotions the selected poems of mary oliver how about rough sleepers
2: by tracy kidder or cheryl strayed's tiny beautiful things browse broadside buy a book for a grad You could be one word away from
3: $1,000. It's a Grand in the Hand on WHMP. Listen
5: each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 15 and 415.
3: When you hear the keyword, just go to WHMP.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a Grand in the Hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com.
5: Want to make a difference in a big way? Nearly 200 children in Hampshire County are on a waiting list to be matched with adult mentors called Bigs. Children who are matched with mentors through Big Brothers Big Sisters of
10: Hampshire County do better in school, report higher self-confidence, and have better relationships with peers. Start something. Call
5: 413-259-3345 and volunteer or donate to Big Brothers Big Sisters of Hampshire County.
3: You're listening to "Talk the Talk" with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP.
0: We continue this segment, the SciTech Cafe, with Mount Holyoke College Professor of Physics Kristen Nordstrom and our very special guest, David Sella, who is at the University of Massachusetts Department of Food Science. He's a nutritionist scientist, and he will be speaking tomorrow and presenting at the SciTech Cafe. The doors open at 6, the talk will begin at 6.30, and the SciTech Cafe is at the Abandoned Brewery Building in East Hampton. Sadly, the last one of the season, but it sounds totally fascinating. Let's go back to your research, if we could, please, Professor David Sella, and tell us, in a wonderful, perfect world where things just work out perfectly, if you could develop or come to an insight with your research about breast milk today or tomorrow, what would it be?
4: Ooh, I I love this question. So during break, we're talking about maybe the differences between fundamental research, knowing things just to know things, and then applications, how do we help people? And so at this stage of my career, I spent a lot of time knowing things. And I love that we're never going to stop doing that. But now we want to make sure that we could translate that. Uh, a fancy word for making products or informing people who do make products in order to help uh, individuals. In this case, we're talking about pediatric nutrition too. So are there specific components of human milk that are helpful for the baby that we've completely ignored for for 100 years that we've had formula that we need to add back to formula right now? And there are examples that we have. Um, there are things called human milk oligosaccharides. And those could you do that again slowly <laughs> and in English for those? HMOs, I, <laughs> HMOs, human milk oligosaccharides. These are short chain sugars. I understand that's not necessarily a common. These are long words, chemicals that you find on packages um, or nutrition fact panels of different products. Um, but, but they're present in breast milk. And the baby doesn't get that unless they're taking breast milk. But recently, in the last five, ten years, we've been adding it, the broader field's been adding it back to formula milk in an attempt to help out the microbiome, these beneficial microbes within the baby. Uh, So
2: Professor, uh, during the break, both Dan and I told you that neither of us were breastfed, breast milk fed. And so I didn't get those microbes that you're talking about, either by this supplement or by breast milk. So how did I survive?
4: Well, I I love the question because it, it presupposes that we have, we're learning science as human milk and is human milk all of a sudden the gold standard and everything, else is less than. So that's one scientific endeavor that we're trying to understand. Is there a Isn't that
0: self evident? I mean, didn't evolution
4: get us to this place? Well, evolution is not always perfect. Uh, we have an appendix, and we're still trying to figure out what the appendix <laughs> is. And um, evolution actually depends upon the local landscape, the world that we live in. So we actually didn't evolve necessarily to live in cities also.
0: Well, that was the idea of formula, right? We'd improve breast milk. We could do better. That was the and, original theory,
10: right? And, and did I understand from your papers that there are actually different kinds of microbiomes from different, you know, eco-locations, perhaps? Or, yes. Yeah.
4: So, when we're talking about microbiomes, we're not just talking about one flavor, one type of microbiome. There's not an American microbiome versus a Japanese microbiome. We have a lot of variations. So, if you were not breastfed, perhaps your microbiome was doing everything it needed to do. But we have to learn that. We don't actually know the answer to that. But there's very likely that's a hypothesis at this moment that we're trying to understand. So, we don't know for sure what exactly. A baby who's
0: only given formula and is, for various reasons, unable to have breast milk, we don't know what that baby actually is missing. We just suspect that baby is missing a lot.
4: Well, we take a step back and we ask ourselves um, what we call first principle questions. We say, is it negative to be formula-fed? Is it positive to be uh, breastfed? And we just say we stand back and say, well, we don't want to presuppose anything. We just want to go there and look with as much of a neutral filter as possible, which is very hard, um, even for scientists, because we're humans. We all have our emotional and mental baggage we bring to it. And even myself, thinking about breast milk, I study breast milk. We support breastfeeding. So we're automatically going to dip into that breastfeeding is, is a positive realm. But in order for us to look at things dispassionately so we can get the most out of what we're doing, we have to take a step back and have more of a neutral perspective.
0: Wow, this is just so very interesting. I just it's, I can't wait for this talk again. This will be at the SciTech Cafe uh, tomorrow evening, Wednesday, the last one of the season. You don't want to miss it. Six o'clock, the door. Six o'clock, the doors open. Six thirty for the talk by Professor David Sella from the UMass Department of Food Science. He's a nutritionist and a nutrition scientist. Again, SciTech Cafe at the abandoned brewery building tomorrow evening, six o'clock door six thirty talk. Thank you so much for doing all of this for the community. Thanks for your research. Thanks for being with us. It's just fascinating stuff, and I really appreciate your talk tomorrow at the SciTech Cafe. Thank
10: you so much. And SciTechCafe.org if you want to sign up for the mailing list for next season. WHMP is looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at Careers WHMP Radio, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Massachusetts, 01060, phone number 413-586-7400, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer and encourages minorities and females to apply.
3: Do you use home oxygen? Do you know about the increased risk of fires and burns? No one should smoke in your home. There's more oxygen in the air, which makes fires burn faster and hotter. Furniture, clothes, bedding, and hair absorb oxygen and can catch fire more easily. Keep 10 feet away from any flame or heat source. For more information, call 1-877-9-NO-FIRE or go to mass.gov DFS. Breathe easy and use your home oxygen safely. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls, WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. D.com.
6: I'm Linda Kenyon in Washington. Congress returns to Washington today with less than a week to go until the deadline to avoid a potentially catastrophic breach of the nation's debt ceiling. CBS's Scott McFarland reports from Capitol Hill.
11: A final vote on this debt ceiling bill could happen here at the Capitol in the U.S. House as early as Wednesday afternoon. But first, the pivotal House Rules Committee will weigh in and consider making some changes.
6: The Senate could vote by week's end. With the okay from the federal government, states across the nation have thrown hundreds of thousands of low-income People off Medicaid in recent weeks. Daniel Sighs with the Center for Medicaid.
4: All 92 million people and in- That actually includes 51% of kids in the
0: country who are enrolled with us on Medicaid will have to undergo a renewal process in the coming
6: 12 months. Police in South Florida continue to look for suspects in a Memorial Day mass shooting. CBS's Jim Crisula reports.
3: Nine people were hurt when gunfire erupted along a beachside promenade in Hollywood, Florida, sending people frantically running for cover along the crowded beach on Memorial Day. David Van Dyke. I heard several gunshots, Seeing a crowd of people running through here. And then we heard like three more shots down the street there. Four children between the ages of one and 17 were wounded
6: at least one person is in custody. The federal jury trial begins today in the nation's deadliest anti-Semitic attack. CBS News legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum says the trial of Robert Bowers comes four and a half years after the shooting at a Pittsburgh synagogue.
2: This case really isn't about guilt because the crime is undisputed, although his lawyers are prepared to mount an insanity defense. The case will come down to the penalty phase. Federal prosecutors are seeking capital punishment. That's what the jury will be asked. To decide.
6: 11 worshipers at the synagogue were killed in that attack. No confirmed deaths after a building partially collapsed in Davenport, Iowa, Sunday night. CBS's Daniel Backus has that story. The fire department had ordered the owner of the more than 110 year old structure to make repairs, and work was underway. There were reports of falling bricks, and residents had complained of many issues inside. Officials say at least one person has been hospitalized. There were 84 units in that building. The head of the U.N. refugee agency says an earlier estimate of around one million people fleeing Sudan may be an underestimate.
4: In a relatively short period of time, we have reached already in excess of 350,000. Doesn't seem to stop.
6: The conflict in Sudan continues to escalate and could lead to increases in human trafficking. This is CBS News.
3: Hiring is a lot easier with Indeed. Their powerful platform makes it easy to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in the same place. Visit Indeed.com credit. Attorney Joe Cordell. Business owners and professionals face special challenges in divorce court. In addition to everything else going on, they have to contend with allegations that they are earning more than they are, coupled with claims on their business or practice itself. Clients with assets depend on their divorce lawyer skills in these matters, and that's why it's so important to hire someone that has those skills.
7: Schedule an appointment with one of Cordell & Cordell's Boston area attorneys. 201 Washington Street, Suite 3656, Boston, Massachusetts, 02108.
6: A state park in the southwest corner of Wyoming has welcomed an ultimate.
5: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Emergency crews from South Hadley and Northampton are continuing their search of the Connecticut River in the area of Brunel's Marina for a missing jet skier. State police say there was a crash between a jet ski and a boat around 7 p.m. on Sunday. The person on the jet ski, a 51-year-old man from Springfield, is still missing. There was a man and a woman in the boat, and they were both taken to Bay State Medical Center for treatment. The boater is from Chicopee and the passenger from Agawam. The Route 5 East Hampton boat ramp is closed as the search continues. There's been a whirlwind of news coming out of Greenfield after the city council voted to move over $1 million from various parts of the city budget into the public school system earlier this month. Now the chair of the school committee, Amy Proietti is accusing the mayor of violating open meeting law for discussing matters related to those issues over email to school committee members and city councillors. Following the city council's vote, the mayor and city council received differing legal opinions on whether councillors had the authority to add the $1.1 back into the school budget. The mayor continues to challenge the legitimacy of the city council school funding vote, while the chair of the school committee has filed a complaint with the attorney general's office. The Greenfield School Committee will have a special meeting tonight at 6 p.m. The Franklin County Fairgrounds and the Deerfield Community Center are both receiving $10,000 grants to make repairs. The fairgrounds will use their money to make repairs to the roundhouse building, including repainting, and the Deerfield Community Center will fix their belfry In historic Deerfield, the grants come from Preservation Massachusetts and the 1772 Foundation.
7: Sunshine this morning and then haze increasing this afternoon as some smoke from eastern Canada wildfires rolls into the valley. A high of 74 to 78. Visibility could be limited for a time this afternoon, this evening. Otherwise, mostly clear tonight. Overnight low of 42 to 48. Mostly sunny tomorrow in the low 80s. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP.
3: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
2: And welcome to Bill to, <laughs> Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Buzz Eisenberg,
0: and he's not Bill Newman.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I guess I want to be Bill. I guess that's what happened. You know, the headlines have been just uh, replete uh, with discussions of the debt ceiling, also called the debt limit. It's that cap on total amount of money which uh, the federal government is authorized to borrow, usually via U.S. Treasury securities like Treasury bills and savings bonds, in order to fulfill its financial obligations, it needs money. And because the United States runs budget deficits, it has to borrow huge sums of money to pay its bills. There's recently been uh, talks between the administration, that is, the Biden administration, and um, really the House of Representatives, Speaker Kevin McCarthy, and uh, we're told that there's an agreement, and we're told what the terms of it are, and we're all totally confused and befuddled about this whole thing. But fortunately, uh, we have with us Professor of Economics at University of uh, Massachusetts at Amherst, um, and it's Gerald Friedman. Um, Jerry, thank you so much for joining us today.
12: Thank you for having me.
2: So, um, I don't even know where to start. Let's start there. So we have this... (laughs) debt ceiling. So what is the problem with the debt ceiling that caused all this tumult that we've been thinking about uh, for the last month and in previous years?
12: Well, the problem with the debt ceiling is that, as you said, to fund the programs voted by Congress, uh, the federal government will have to borrow money, Um, you know, several hundred million dollars uh, this year, in addition to everything that we've borrowed in the past, about thirty two trillion dollars. Um, a little more than GDP or maybe a little less than GDP. Um, gross domestic product. Uh, so yeah, yeah, gross domestic product. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so if the ceiling isn't raised on how much they can borrow, then something will have to give. They'll have to cut appropriate cut spending on previously appropriated programs, which may be don't pay social security benefits. Don't pay for aid to education um, programs that already voted, um, and contracts that have been written and are legally binding, or they'll have to not pay, make payments on the debt. Um, you know, interest payments on existing debt, um, which would mean that um, you know people who hold that those debt instruments uh, would themselves in a position of having their contracts broken. Um, It's also worth noting that the 14th Amendment adopted after the Civil War provides that um, the validity of the public debt uh, shall not be questioned. Um, So I suppose bondholders would be first in line um, if there wasn't enough money to pay for everything that the government has, uh, uh, or all spending the government has incurred. Um, This is all really ridiculous. The so-called debt ceiling was adopted in 1917 during World War I because previously everything voted by Congress had to have a specific funding source. So any time they voted for a battleship or whatever, they'd have to say, well, this will be financed by debt, this will be financed by taxation, whatever. So to simplify things during World War I, they said, okay, we'll just roll it all into one instrument. Um, since then, it's been raised, the debt ceiling's been raised 78 times, usually without any problem, any issue. You know, Congress already appropriated uh, the program, established the program, appropriated monies, and then said, okay, you know, we'll just raise the debt ceiling to finance it if necessary. Um, occasionally, we actually Raise enough in taxation to pay for everything appropriated, but that hasn't happened for about the last 25 years.
2: And what um, we are constantly reminded of uh, Professor Gerald Friedman, is that these are to pay these are to pay debts we've already incurred. This is people conflate <laughs> like spending in the future and the debt that we have already incurred. Uh, they conflate those two, but in fact, this is just to pay the debts we already have, like each of us do at home with our credit card bill or whatever
12: exactly exactly and just like with our credit card bills we've spent the money i just bought milk and orange juice um we i incurred a debt for that milk and orange juice on my credit card um and when the time comes i have to pay for it um you know this is just the way things are done and if you don't pay for it then you've broken a contract you've got a problem you know and the yeah. You know, uh, so this is all hokum, uh, but in practice, it's been uh, not. There was never any question about this until 1995, when uh, a new Republican Congress was looking for a way to hamstring the Clinton administration. So they said, "Okay, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling unless you do what we want." It was blackmail, holding the economy hostage. Um. Uh. Newt Gingrich lost on that one. Uh, there they, was another similar power play in 2011 against Obama when the new Republican Congress uh, wanted to uh, slash and burn the, uh, um, the stimulus program to get us out of the near depression from 2008. Um, they succeeded. Obama caved on a lot of uh, on a lot of spending. Um, and that encouraged them in 2013 to do it again. At that point, Obama had learned, the Obama administration had learned, you, know, you can't compromise, you can't deal with these people. Um, and 2013, the Republicans caved, um, which is pretty much what's happened here.
2: Well, let's talk um, about what's yeah. happened here. So we are told that there's been an agreement between Biden administration and, quote unquote, Congress uh, that is now going to wind its way through Congress. So did Biden cave?
12: No, no, no. O'Biden, uh, sorry, Biden, not O'Biden. Biden got almost everything that he, uh, that you know, he could have gotten. Um, they made an agreement to cut spending on the expansion of the IRS to try to restore our tax system. Um, but those cuts are to be made over 10 years, which means that nothing's going to yeah, you know, the IRS can just continue spending for the next couple of years on the expansion program, and after a new Congress comes in, we'll consider the matter again. Um, there was an unfortunate aspect here. They put in some new work requirements for a small relatively small subset of people on um, supplemental nutrition, also known as food stamps. Um, or snap? Really, snap. Yes, yes. That's a really bad idea. It's wasteful. Basically, it doesn't do anything to help people get into work. What it does is creates more bureaucracy, more paperwork, and the idea. And some people are even very open about this. The purpose of these restrictions, these, um, is that people will fall through the cracks. They won't fill out the paperwork, and then they'll get dropped. And that's how you'll save money, and uh, not by people doing anything useful.
0: Professor Gerald Friedman, I, I have a remedial question. We yeah. have been hearing for quite some time now that if there were a default, if there were to be a default, that is an economic disaster. The country will plunge into recession. The world could plunge into recession or depression. It was beyond, It was so beyond con- belief that it just could not be allowed to happen. W- why?
12: Well, what people were saying, and I don't think they're right about this, is that if the U.S. government decided not to pay its debts, uh, U.S. securities, until 2011, were the most gold-plated securities around. Um, The assumption was the U.S. government would always pay its debt. Companies may default. Other countries may default. But the U.S. would never default. So the U.S. had the lowest interest rates and the highest rating. Um, If we threatened default, as we did in 2011, then the bond rating agencies, you know, what some other politician called the gnomes of Switzerland, um, uh, decided that we were not so safe. So right now the U.S. government has a lower bond rating than Apple Computer. You know, the idea that the U.S. government is more likely to default than Apple computer. Um, And that means we have to pay higher interest rates. If we actually did hit the debt ceiling, this is what people said. I don't agree with them, but this is what people said. Then the bond rating agencies would go crazy. They'd say the U.S. bonds would junk bonds. Interest rates on U.S. securities would soar um, to junk bond status. Um, instead of uh, 4%, we'd be paying on Treasury securities, we'd be paying 20%, 25%. And everybody who's relied on these securities would be you know, in terror. So they'd be dumping the securities. The price would go down. And banks and other institutions, um, insurance companies, they hold a lot of U.S. government securities. So if the price goes down on these securities, then banks would be going and you know, suddenly lose their capital value. Insurance and companies would suddenly lose their capital value and they would go into bankruptcy. And that's the scenario that people were afraid of. Well, the other part of the
2: scenario that, that we heard was from Secretary Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, who said that on June 5th, we will run out of money as a country and yeah. we'll have to rely on new borrowing from investors like the yeah. people you're saying who are going to be so depressed. Who,
12: yes, and who, and if the ceiling isn't raised on June 5th, we're not going to be able to do that <laughs> because you can't have new borrowing without raising the debt ceiling. Now, I think in practice, the first problem, the one that I raised, won't happen under any circumstances because Janet Yellen would be faced with a conundrum, which, which incurred liabilities do we pay? Do we pay the interest on the securities or do we pay social security payments? Or do we pay for military contracts? And she would decide to pay the the debt because that's what's in the constitution. You have to pay the debt. Um, Whereas everything else is like, okay, we have a contract with Northrop Northrop Lockheed, you know, we'll tell them we're not paying for a while. Um, so I don't, think we'd, I don't think we'd have the catastrophic, ca- catastrophic interest rate issue. But we would run out of money to pay for all sorts of other things, so Social Security recipients, hospitals getting money from Medicare, um, you know, uh, students borrowing, getting money on the Pell Grants. All these people would suddenly not be getting the money that the government promised them. Um, and that would be a real problem.
2: Well, we um, but I don't talking- think
12: we'd have the interest rate problem.
2: I'm a little bit comforted, but I still want to understand this deal. We are talking with economics professor from the University of Massachusetts, Gerald Friedman. And uh, we're going to learn more about what the debt limit deal is that is now going to be considered by Congress right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and
3: Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP.
6: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member,
0: Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur.
6: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone
8: is welcome.
5: When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back, or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well, their with- Without unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit HugYourMoney.com.
3: When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it.
10: For the first time
4: in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens
3: one oh one five fourteen hundred we are the valley we are whmp you're listening to talk the talk with bill newman and buzz Eisenberg. whmp
2: and we are talking with economics professor gerald friedman about the debt limit deal which we we're told has been struck and which is going to now be considered by congress i guess i have a two-part question for you professor I'd like to hear from you, number one, what was in the deal? And number two, who won?
12: Thinking about what's in the deal compared to what the Republicans had wanted in this bill, the so-called Eat, Pray, Love bill that they passed a couple weeks ago. Um, First, they wanted uh, to freeze non-military spending, um, at current nominal levels, not adjust for inflation, for several years and cap the growth at some low level to reduce total spending by trillions and trillions of dollars over the next decade. They didn't get anything like that. They got a nominal freeze at current year levels. They'd wanted to roll them back to a previous year level and then freeze it, um, and then a 1% budgeted increase the following year, and nothing about after that um so they didn't get that they did get there probably will be some cuts but most of those cuts will be financed because states especially red states haven't spent all the money that they were authorized under the uh, various um covid uh, programs um, they should have this was money for public health. This was money to help people who are having problems, whatever. But they didn't spend it all. Uh, so the government's going to claw that money back. And that the Biden administration is allowed to take that money and put it into the programs that are being frozen this year and have a low rate of increase next year. So it's, it's not going to matter that much for those programs. So the Republicans lost big on that. They wanted major in, changes in food stamps and medicaid they wanted to institute work requirements for medicaid and expand the work requirements for food stamps right now up to uh single people with you know adults without children up to age 45 receiving food stamps are required to register for work etc i mean the great bulk of them are working already um and those who aren't working are mostly disabled um, so it really doesn't matter to many people, but it does matter to the extent that if they don't fill out the paperwork, they get dropped from the program, and that happens a lot. It's called churn. They get dropped from the program, they reapply, they get back in. Um, but they've lost benefits for a few months. Uh, the, uh, especially, again, especially in red states where the programs are administered in a particularly slow way. Um, uh, they wanted to expand those to everybody. They're going up to age 54. It, they got something. They can claim they got something, but it's not much. Uh, Medicaid work requirements, no, not happening. Um, they wanted to claw back. They wanted to cut out the uh, um, efficiency programs in the Inflation uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act. They wanted to cut out the subsidies for solar power. Nothing happened like that. You know the. Climate provisions of, of the Inflation Reduction Act are basically intact. They wanted to, um, uh, they wanted to eliminate the expansion of the uh, in, uh, IRS, um, which, by the way, is also another program that goes back to the 1860s, a, a Civil War program, like the 14th Amendment. Um, uh, the IRS got a lot of money on the. Uh, Biden's um, uh, Inflation Reduction Act on the idea, the correct idea, that every dollar the IRS gets means they can hire more people who will check up on really rich people who aren't paying their taxes, but not paying all the taxes that they do. Um, it, money spent on the IRS generates more revenue for the government, revenue coming from rich tax cheats. Um, they got a numb a small reduction in that, which won't even happen for years. By which point, if we do what we should do and elect a Democratic Congress next time around, um, that money will never be cut from the IRS. Um, so, all in all, the Republicans got things that McCarthy can call face-saving, but they don't amount to anything in substance. Um, Biden got, um, you know, the, the money, the clawback money from COVID money that should have been spent but wasn't um, and isn't going to be spent. So might as well give it back to the feds. Um, And um, Biden got the two year um, expansion in the debt ceiling. So, you know, this is really quite a big win for the Biden administration. And you see this in the reaction of politicians. Republican politicians, especially the Freedom Caucus people, are going around complaining. Uh, progressive Democrats are holding their fire. They're waiting to see how many Republicans will vote for this because they know that most of the votes are going to come from Democrats. So people like Jayapal, head of the Progressive Caucus in, in the House, uh, complains about it because, yeah, sure, we'd rather not have this. <laughs> we'd rather just have the debt ceiling raised or we'd, the debt ceiling eliminated. We'd rather if the Democrats had won the House last time around, but they didn't. So this is, we're going to, you know, there's going to be something bad happening, and this is the least bad thing I could imagine. And Jayapal, I'm sure, feels the same way. So they'll see how many Republican votes there are, and then the Democrats will provide enough votes. This is the way Nancy Pelosi did things. Um, She always made sure to have 218 votes and then told everybody, vote however you want, you don't want to vote for this. Yeah, don't vote for it. We've got the votes. Um, Nobody's going to stick their neck out for this. Um, But some Republicans are going to vote for it, and the Democrats will provide the bulk of the votes. Um, And I think it's going to pass the House. The Senate will find some way to enact it without actually (laughs) having to vote on it or something. Um, Schumer and McConnell will work it out. What interests me is last week I was talking to a, a good friend, political scientists from Columbia about where are the fortune 500? How come they're not marching down to Washington and telling the Republicans to behave? And I think what happened is they did this, the heads of the American, American banks and big companies went to McCarthy. And they said, you've got to do, you got to make a deal. You know, we can't accept this. This is no good. You got to cut it out. Stop, stop fooling around with the, um, the U S economy. Um, and so McCarthy cut a deal. He got enough that he can pretend that he won. Um, but you now everybody knows. I think everybody looks at it and knows that this is a big loss for the uh, right wing of the Republican Party
0: so, um, prof- and a win for the country. Professor Friedman, I- I'd like to understand this more. It was during the Clinton administration where there was a possibility because we were running surpluses that there might even be an elimination of the national debt. Since that time, we have accumulated $31 trillion of debt. Not million, not billions, trillion, $31 trillion. It's an unimaginable amount of money. It's equal to the entire amount of goods and services produced in the United States in one year. It's enormous. The Republicans say, we have to eliminate, we have to cut back on the debt, leaving aside for a moment where that uh, reduction in the debt would would come from. Do you think there is a problem now that is facing the United States economy because of its $31 trillion of debt? In other words, do the Republicans, are they onto something here or not?
12: No, they're not at all um it's conceivable that at some point the debt would become a problem but it's not there it went nowhere near there yet um i don't want to sound like alexander hamilton who thought the national debt was a great thing um (laughs) but i don't i don't think it's a it's a much of a problem look at what we've spent the money on um we spent the money on the war in iraq um bad idea you know the global war on terror terrible idea but You know, people thought that that was what we needed to do. It was an investment in our security. Um, We spent the money on um, recovery from the uh, banking crisis and the near depression of 2008. Um, That was an investment in the recovery of the U.S. economy. Um, Good thing to do. We didn't spend nearly enough on that, and obviously we spent way too much on the war in Iraq, but that's another story. Um, We spent the money on... The Bush tax cuts of 2001, terrible idea, we, but people thought it was a good one. We spent the money on uh, the Trump tax cuts, more bad idea. We spent the money on COVID, a lot of money on COVID. We spent like like it was running out of style on COVID, good idea. It's say, it saved the U.S. economy and the world economy and saved hundreds of thousands of lives. Um, we imagine if we hadn't invested in the, um, vaccine research. Vaccines were, most of the available vaccines, you know, Moderna and Pfizer, uh, the good vaccines, were developed with U.S. government money. Um, we just told the companies write a check, we'll buy whatever you produce at whatever price you want. Um, OK, we gave them too much, but still, we got vaccines at a super fast rate. This is the, this is where government debt is investment. Government investment debt is investment. Debt. Well, just like when I buy a house, when I, we bought a house, we got a mortgage. That was debt. And the debt we had was greater than my income. <laughs> <You
2: know. laughs> so the bottom line, because we're out of time, Professor Gerald Friedman of no, the sorry, uh, yeah. no, yeah. thank you of the Economics yeah. Department yeah. at the University of Massachusetts, we should all feel good. It's not perfect, but this uh, this agreement that has been struck is a good thing for
12: all of us. Is that is that what we is that the yeah. takeaway? That, that's the takeaway, absolutely. And we don't need to worry about the debt unless the total debt, unless it gets to some vastly higher level than it is now. I am comforted.
2: Thank you so much for joining us, (laughs) Gerald Friedman, Professor of Economics. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking again to the uh, Bombix folks about the rescission of the cease and desist order, uh, which captivated our imaginations last week. We'll be right back. (laughs)
3: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
5: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Emergency crews from South Hadley and Northampton are continuing their search of the Connecticut River in the area of Brunel's Marina for a missing jet skier. State police say there was a crash between a jet ski and a boat around 7 p.m. on Sunday. The person on the jet ski, a 51-year-old man from Springfield, is still missing. There was a man and a woman in the boat, and they were both taken to Bay State Medical Center for treatment. The boater is from Chicopee and the passenger from Agawam. The Route 5 East Hampton boat ramp is closed as the search continues. There's been a whirlwind of news coming out of Greenfield after the city council voted to move over $1 million from various parts of the city budget into the public school system earlier this month. Now the chair of the school committee, Amy Proietti, is accusing the mayor of violating open meeting law for discussing matters related to those issues over email to school committee members and city councilors. Following the city council's vote, the mayor and city council received differing legal opinions on whether counselors had the authority to add the $1.1 million back into the school budget. The mayor continues to challenge the legitimacy of the city council's school funding vote, while the chair of the school committee has filed a complaint with the attorney general's office. The Greenfield School Committee will have a special meeting tonight at 6 p.m. The Franklin County Fairgrounds and the Deerfield Community Center are both receiving $10,000 grants to make repairs. The fairgrounds will use their money to make repairs to the roundhouse building, including repainting. And the Deerfield Community Center will fix their belfry, In historic Deerfield, the grants come from Preservation Massachusetts and the 1772 Foundation.
7: Sunshine this morning and then haze increasing this afternoon as some smoke from eastern Canada wildfires rolls into the valley. A high of 74 to 78. Visibility could be limited for a time this afternoon, this evening. Otherwise, mostly clear tonight. Overnight low of 42 to 48. Mostly sunny tomorrow in the low 80s. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP.
4: We finally entered into a more balanced real estate market. Hi, I'm Craig Delapena, a part of the Trailside team at the Murphys Realtors. I've been helping buyers and sellers in our valley and beyond for close to 20 years. I specialize in homes near rail trails, as well as antique or historic homes. Together, we'll create a plan that gets you to the next chapter, and will minimize your stress along the way. Visit NorthamptonRealtor.com/innovator
3: kick off your summer by joining Pioneer Valley Fiberglass Pools for their grand opening event at their brand new showroom in Westfield on June 1st from 11 to 1, starting with a ribbon cutting by the mayor. Enjoy food and refreshments or even take a dip in one of their many pools on display. Come join the fun and explore the possibilities for your own backyard. Pioneer Valley Fiberglass Pools has been in business for over 20 years and offers free virtual site evaluations and competitive estimates. See you June 1st from 11 to 1. Check out PVF Pools. For more info, your oasis awaits. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits?
1: Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care.
3: It's Polka Carousel, every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP.
4: Imagine working hard for so many years and reaching your retirement only to find out there's an issue with your pension or 401k. Unfortunately, it's a problem too many Americans face. The New England Pension Assistance Project can help you get the benefits you've earned by providing free legal help. Contact the New England Pension Assistance Project at 888-425-6067 or visit them online at pensionhelp.org slash newengland a public service from the U.S. Administration on Aging's Pension Counseling and Information Program.
3: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
2: And we are back. We, um, it seems like it was uh, just a minute ago, but it was Friday on our Talk the Talk program when we were talking about um, the fact that the Bombic Center for Art and Equity, um, was given a cease and desist order with respect to uh, the performing arts that are uh, celebrated there and presented there for the community. We were talking with Cassandra Holden and Kyle Homestead, the co-founders of the Bombek Center, and um, things looked a little bit um, bleak. And uh, shortly thereafter, something happened. Cassandra Holden, you're back in the studio. What happened?
13: (laughs) Thank you, Buzz. It's great to be back, and it's wonderful to be here with good news. Clearly, the power of your show changed things for us, because we walked in believing that we weren't going to be open, that our concert programming was over, and when we exited the studio last week, um, I received a call from Jonathan Flagg in the building department telling me to check my email, that I would find some good news there, and lo and behold... Shortly thereafter appeared a letter from the fire chief rescinding the cease and desist order, so we were able to go forward with our programming last weekend. We just had a great meeting with them this morning, so I'm feeling I'm feeling energized. Like, there's a future. There's light on the horizon.
2: So what does that mean, rescinding the cease and desist order? Can you explain the order, just for in case listeners have not been paying attention, and what the rescission means?
13: Yes. So the cease and desist order specifically targeted our concert programming, Um, So, you know, other activities in the building were able to go forward. That's the, you know, religious gatherings of the synagogue and the congregation and the educational activities of the preschool. Um, But specifically, the concert programming um, was to be put on hold. And so this rescission means that we can continue. We can now, you know, offer that programming again, as well as the lectures and film screenings and talks and workshops and other things that have been part of what, what we've done all along.
0: As I read the letter from the city, it says that some money that you had uh, designated to be used for a kitchen and for other improvements actually now have to be used for a sprinkler system. Could you explain what that means in terms of operations and what will happen at Bombex?
13: Sure. So, um Couple of months ago, we were fortunate enough to be awarded seventy-nine thousand dollars in ARPA funds, and that's designated for renovating our kitchen. The
2: American Rescue Plan.
13: American Rescue Plan. Yes. yes. Um, so one of the things that um, that the mayor's chief of staff had shared with us is that, in conversation with the mayor, you know, we were now able to reallocate those funds, um, you know, toward the initial phases of this sprinkler implementation. Um, we do understand you know, that, that that particular installation is probably going to cost several hundred thousand dollars. You know, there's an engineering study that needs to happen and, you know, lots of plumbing and carpentry and, you know, all the things that go and into And
2: Bill was informing me that there's a question about whether there's adequate water pressure even underground to support such a system.
13: Exactly. So our first step is to complete this engineering study, have the DPW come out. We need to measure the water pressure. We need to look at the pipes and figure out, you know, how do we how do we go forward to make this... 19th century building, a 21st century building.
2: Kyle Homestead, so he, here was a situation in which I'm sure you were extremely unhappy with the cease and desist order and thought that it was unfair that you'd been in negotiations with the building department of the city of Northampton for a very long time since, you're in, since you opened your doors in, I think, September or October of, non, of 2021. But um, now, tell me your mindset now, now that it's been rescinded, you have to work with the city,
14: Right. Yeah, we, we all the way along we have felt that the city is has been a great ally to this project, and and we've worked really well, and really appreciate all of the different officials who have participated in supporting the project in a variety of ways. Uh, so we're really looking forward to uh, continuing that, um, and really continuing to uh, invest in in Bombix being an asset to the city at large. You know, it's certainly an economic driver for the region, and. Um, and, and we want it to be uh, safe, for sure. And, uh, and, and really, you know, this is... We, we really enjoy our friends at the city and would and like to keep it that way.
2: So part, part of the discussion was the city, using the regulatory authority um, that governed the sprinkler systems and commercial uses, uh, designating Bombic Center as a nightclub which you profoundly disagreed with, saying we are not a nightclub. Did that sort of just get lost in the wash here with this uh, rescission of the cease and desist order?
14: Yeah, I I think we, so we're now heading towards uh, a a different designation that would be typically used for auditoriums and theaters and so on that is not a nightclub designation. And I think there's, there's a lot of confusion the way that those laws are written that leaves it open to interpretation. Um, but it's very clear, uh, in fact, just from our meeting this morning, that, uh, that we are, are no longer considered to be a nightclub. Um, and now we have committed to a process to go ahead and, and start implementing the sprinkler systems. And so what's in front of us is, is, uh, is a lot of fundraising to, to do this work. and We're going to pursue that.
0: So what is or is not going to change at Bombex now on account of this fight with the city that is resolved? What difference... At the end of the day or the end of this hour, what's different at Bombex? if anything?
14: It, it's an accelerated timeline. we We had a, a six year timeline that included sprinklers and and a number of other code related changes. It's not just sprinklers. Uh, this this change of use that we have entered into now uh, requires ADA compliance as well. And while the the building is very accessible, we have some older bathrooms and so on that need to be updated. So, part and parcel with with the sprinklers is going to be some other other changes and renovations um, that bring us into full code compliance and that'll happen a lot faster than we originally anticipated. I just want to point out change of use it's a zoning
2: designation It says you're going to be changing the use. No,
14: no, that's actually this is an interesting point that uh, we learned a lot about over the last uh, few weeks but... That we didn't know we cared about. Yes. But now we do. Yes. Um, Change of use, the, the term change of use is used in zoning but it's also used uh, in the building code. And so we're actually talking about use and occupancy classifications, which are in the building code, not at all related to zoning. Got
0: it. Is there gonna be any difference in terms of the programming at Bombex, the uh, performances that will be there? Has any of that changed at this point because of what is going on with the city?
14: The programming will remain the same, um, although you know we have made some concessions in, in the, the near term as we go through this process until the sprinklers are in place. You know, I think last week we spoke about um, uh, alcohol and, and uh, you know, the six permits that had been pulled um, this year for vendors or private events to serve alcohol at Bombex. And we will not be pulling alcohol permits um, in, in, this, in this period of time until the sprinklers are in place. So that's, that's the biggest change.
0: Which has a serious economic uh, effect on Bombex
14: or no? It doesn't have a direct effect on us. We, we don't, uh, in fact, Bombex has never pulled uh, a, a, an alcohol permit, and, and we don't uh, generate any revenue from that. Um, the impact that that has is that we have uh, some groups that come in and rent Bombex to, say, hold a fundraiser or whatever, and um, that may complicate some of those. So we may lose some revenue um, because some of the rentals that would come to us uh, are, are going to be non-viable if, if our renters are unable to pull a permit.
2: Cassandra Holden,
14: uh, co-founder of of Bombix. So,
2: how are you going to raise this money? What What are you asking our listeners to know?
13: Sure. So, again, you know the city has been very generous, and that Alan Wolf um, offered that we could. There are um, almost a couple hundred thousand dollars in unspent CPA funds. Uh, so we're going to be, you know. Looking into a
2: preve- uh, uh, preservation act.
13: Fund. Community Preservation Act. Sorry, I'm I'm throwing out the acronyms. That's okay. You've been deeply embedded <laughs> in it. Yeah. Yeah. So so we're going to be um, pursuing CPA funds um, to support this work. Uh, we're also going to be launching a fundraising campaign um, to support this project. Um, we were planning to launch a capital campaign a little further down the road, but now we're going to. We're going to kick it off pretty much immediately. If you're listening, if you're in your car, if you're at home um, and you're feeling generous this morning, um, you can go to paypal.me bombix1861. Uh, Say it again
2: more slowly sure. if they're in their cars. They don't have a <laughs> pen.
13: You got it. That's paypal.me slash bombix1861.
14: We we've actually had a lot of support too since this whole thing started, and uh, you know we've had a few people walk into the building with a check. We we do the old fashioned thing too. It's been and, wonderful. And can
0: you get to the fundraising page uh, through your website through Bombex's website? Is there a link there or no?
14: I think there is. Um,
13: yes, it's. Um, y- you can also go to the donate button on our about page on our website. B o m b y x. Live bombix.live. And we've had two generous donors, um, you know, give us a a, a very helpful uh, bit of seed money, um, you know, as matching funds. So again, we'll be sharing more about that publicly. But it's wonderful that so many folks have reached out to us, you know, and and begun to support this campaign and this work.
0: I'd like to go back to a remedial question that I have, just a, something I don't understand. And this comes from Joe Blumenthal's op-ed or his his opinion piece in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette. And uh, Joe Blumenthal, of course, well-known in the music world here in the Valley. And he says this about Bombex and the fight that is going on. It must be conceded that from a public safety perspective, there is no difference between a church service with choir and organ for several hundred worshipers and a concert of secular music. Yet the concert is prohibited. And the church services go on. That was obviously written before the uh, uh, the uh, compromise, if that's what it is, was reached with the city. I'm wondering if you either you uh, have an explanation yet from the city on why. Well, an answer to this question that Joe Blumenthal raised.
14: I, I think it just comes down to the fact that um, the the church. This has to do with the reg, the way the reg, <coughs> regulation is written, right? And the church is exempt from the sprinkler laws. So it's it's not so much a debate as to one or the other. It's that one's enforceable and one's not.
13: right. And again, we come back to that nightclub fire in um, you know the early two thousands, and this regulation around the installation of sprinklers was, you know, came out of that tragedy and then churches were exempted from doing that work because it was understood that a lot of these buildings were older and folks didn't have those resources. So it it doesn't really follow logical lines, but it was a response to a series of conditions.
2: Unfortunately, we're out of, uh, almost out of time. I just wanted to ask you, Kyle, uh, I understand that there's going to be a sort of thank you concert um, that you'll be asking for donations rather than requiring ticket purchases. And Talk about your programming. Talk about how people can support you.
14: Well, first of all, come out. Uh, and if you haven't been to Bombix, please come out. This weekend, we have two great concerts. On Saturday, we have John Pizzarelli, who's uh, a, a very well-known... Incredible. Uh, yeah, jazz, jazz musician. Um, uh, top flight. Yes, and that's that's going to be exquisite. And then on Sunday, uh, we have a fantastic concert that we're turning into an open house with uh, Kiran Alawalia, and um, she is this incredible uh, world music artist who's won numerous awards, um, she grew up in India and, uh, and her vocal traditions reflect uh, India and Pakistan. Um, what do you mean by open house? Open house meaning that uh, we are feeling, uh, we, we feel like it's time to celebrate and we're very appreciative to everybody who has supported us through this very difficult uh, few weeks. And so we want to invite the community to come out and for those who haven't checked out Bombix, come and poke your head in and check it out, listen to some music. For those who know us well, come and discover a new artist. We're just we're we're inviting people for free to come and enjoy this concert on Sunday afternoon, and I have to tell you it's uh it's Sunday at 7 p.m. again it's Kiran Alawalia, and um, in the summer months where we are the light streams in through the windows, uh, at 7 p.m. and this the stained glass windows it bathes the whole room in this beautiful amber glow and it's going to be magical, Uh, this incredible blend of, of world music, um. That also uh, very much in- embraces the influences from Mali and and Western blues, rock, R and B nuances of jazz. It's it's really going to be a, a beautiful concert. Beautiful concert and celebratory. This yes. is
2: a time that Bombix uh, things Look dark, just uh, this past Friday, and uh, the bright light is shining on our uh, on our sanctuary, isn't it? it Hallelujah! Is. Hallelujah! Thank you so much for <laughs> joining us. This won't be the last time we talk to you, and. And now thanks to Talk the Talk. Everything is right. We've solved the debt ceiling. Everything is perfect. We're going to take a break and be right back.
3: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. WHMP.
6: Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst.
14: Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org.
3: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
2: And we are back with Julian Findley, the founder of Shakespeare's Stage. And uh, you have an event that's coming up this weekend that sounds very exciting, Julian. Tell us, well, first tell us about Shakespeare's Stage.
11: Uh, yeah, we've been doing... Shakespeare Stage. I've been producing for Shakespeare Stage since 2016. Um, We've done all types of shows, Macbeth, Twelfth Night, Complete History of America, Abridged, an original Shakespeare adapted work that was written by my mentor David Rowland from Northfield Mount Hermon. Um, We're so glad to be back on stage after over three years of no theater with COVID. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful experience to be in the Academy of Music. We're performing June 1st, 2nd, and 3rd at 7.30 p.m. at the Academy.
2: And, in the yeah, and, and just so people know, we'll do it again, but it's uh, Academy of Music. In order to find out more about it, it's aomtheater.com slash event slash 12th. Is that right? Yeah, dash and- night. Dash night, 12th night. So, Backslash. And theater is E-R or R-E?
11: Theater is with an R-E. So it's A-O-M theater, R-E, dot com, slash event, slash 12th, T-W-E-L-F-T-H, dash, night. well it,
2: Unfortunately, we only have a few minutes left, but tell us what excites you about this particular production of 12th Night.
11: Ah, just the romance and the farce. I'm setting it in the 80s in a nightclub. Um, I'm a hip-hop artist as well, and Shakespeare probably would have been hopefully proud of my ambic pentameter. Um, (laughs) So so hopefully, yeah, just everyone who has seen Shakespeare recently or who hasn't, I think it's going to be a brand-new experience for people. Um, I've composed all the music myself. I've adapted uh, lyrics from Shakespeare's songs into my original instrumentals. So it's a beautiful... We have a wonderful local cast. These, these actors have worked so hard for three months. Um, and, you know, I was talking to my cast, like Shakespeare doesn't ever give stage directions like a, like a David Mamet play or something, or like a pinter pause. So you have to create those stage directions within the text. You know, like there's a, there's a line... Where Festy the clown is is out of her gourd, and we're like, "What's out of your gourd? Like out of your mind? You're wild. You're going. You're you know. You're dancing." So I had to devise some stage staging for my Festy, my clown, to make you know to make that make sense in the form of the text. So, so it, much they're, creativity. They're really,
2: so we only so have a couple of minutes, but I just want to ask you: yeah. Why did you set it in the eighties? What? What? Why do you think about Twelfth Night works well in
11: the eighties? Like I think Studio Fifty Four, or just a wild club. It doesn't have to be the most expensive club. It could be the you know a dive bar, and it just felt like the eighties had this sense of like f- free form fun, and that's what I am really leaning into: this organic sense of fun in music because Shakespeare was about music. Um, I'll say one thing. There's a line that he says, music of the spheres and music of the spheres for Shakespeare is, is tr- entrainment and entrainment is the vibration of the planets. Wow. And, and isn't that crazy? Yeah. He was so connected with the cosmos. So music of the spheres is like, I want to bring music back to Shakespeare. I want to combine it. Um, also one last thing I'll say, um, I'm a hip hop artist and my new moniker that my brother, Luke, that you actually taught in school years ago, Buzz, um, Luke Finley. I remember. Yeah. He, he still talks about you fondly. Um, and we were, he was like, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta come up with a new name for your hip hop artist. I was like, okay. Make it really quick because... Well, make it really quick. You know what you should be? Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Julian Finley so as Shakespeare. I'm, now I'm Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Well, the let globe. me just say,
2: this is at the Academy of Music on June 1st, June 2nd, June 3rd. It is Twelfth Night. It's set in the 80s with hip-hop, music being the food of tickets. Go online to the Academy of Music. Go ahead, Bill.
0: Directly at the Academy of Music. You can buy your tickets there. Just go to the AOM website. Thank you.
7: My name is Silas Cuff. I have long been a friend of Riverside Industries in East Hampton. For more than 50 years, they have empowered and supported adults with developmental disabilities. People are
12: treated with dignity and respect, and the Riverside team helps them to reach their goals and even find
7: employment in our area. You may not realize it, but you encounter people every day in our community
1: that receive training and support from Riverside Industries. To learn more about the fine
13: work that Riverside Industries does, go to rsi.org. Looking to take a little breather from the news? We don't blame
3: you. Why don't you turn the dial over to our pure oldie station? It's the music you grew up with. WHMP and the news will be right here when you get back. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turners Falls. WHMP.com a Northampton Radio Group Station.